Welcome to the Cracked Pots podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. So this week we moved into the story of the Exodus with the midwives, Shifra and Pua. What a name. Well, you know, Hebrew. Yeah, I know. But man, it's <laughs> unfortunate. Pua. Um, you know, actually, I don't even know what those names mean. I bet I can find out, though, because um, that's, sure you who, can. I'm just, that's, frankly, that's I'm, who I am. Frankly, I'm disappointed you don't just know it. Well, you know. I mean, I could take a stab at uh, what Pua means, but. Oh, Shifra means handsome, trumpet, or does good. Okay. And Pua means. One who poops. To cry out. Hmm. So, interesting. So, an interesting thing about Shifra and Pua, that there's debate about whether the midwives are actually Egyptian midwives or whether they're Hebrew midwives. Hmm. They, they aren't, because the, the, the original Hebrew, the way it is written, does not clarify what. It, it just is the midwives to the Hebrews. Right. So, they could have been, possibly, Egyptian, but we don't know. Yeah. don't know if it matters, but, I mean, it may have given them better standing. The fact that, like, Pharaoh went to them in the first place kind of is weird. If they were Hebrew. Just because... Yeah, that doesn't... That wouldn't add up, I, don't, I wouldn't think. Yeah. So, um, I, my, I guess my money's on Egyptian, but at the same time, why on earth are Egyptian midwives bothering to deal with the maybe it's, a, maybe it's just a women's solidarity thing. It may have been. I, you know, I don't know. It doesn't ultimately matter because the point just being is... Well, um, and let, let's also be honest. They didn't really get a choice regardless of their nationality. Oh, right. Didn't, like, it doesn't really... Fa fa hey, Pharaoh was a tyrant. You're a so. midwife. Go bring babies into yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, Pharaoh was a tyrant. It didn't really matter whether you were Egyptian or whether you were Hebrew. Yeah. Um, that, that kind of was... Uh, just what was, what was going to happen. You, you, you do what he says. Um, but, yeah. So, just kind of this, this, this interesting story of defying the authority of, of Pharaoh. And I want to be clear that this isn't just a simple, like, wanton disregard for rules and laws. Um, Breaking rules just because you disagree with them or don't like them is not really the litmus test. <laughs> no, and I think, I think that's, that's one of those slippery slopes in stories like this. Right. Um, does it kind of lead us to carte blanche to just do whatever you want? Yeah. Well, I felt like it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's not really what we're talking about. And you, you use the term... And correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I just spaced out at 11.15 and I wasn't here Saturday <laughs> night, but I distinctly remember using the term civil disobedience. I did. At, at 9.30. Yes. But I don't recall it. I did. Okay. I used it in both. Okay. I spaced out. Um, yeah. That's okay. You were, you, you were sick and we're still kind of in that, yeah. that zone. Um, and I was playing with cameras that service too. Yeah, um, <laughs> you were distracted. But yes, I did use the so, term civil disobedience. So I, I, I think that's one of the... I've, I've always been fascinated by civil disobedience. So I really appreciated um, 
though this, these acts, these acts in Exodus, um, not the book of Acts, not to be confused with the book of Acts, um, these, these acts, actions in Exodus, you know, be in a form of civil disobedience. Um, because I think that's, I think that's powerful. Um, well, and, and to reckon, so, so to get back, I think, a little bit to the question of what then constitutes civil disobedience and when, it is, when is it appropriate and right. when is it not. Right. Um, just because certain things happen or that your government does that you just don't like or you have an ideological difference with is not a reason for civil disobedience necessarily. Um, usually the litmus test is, is the law oppressive? As in it is targeting a particular group of people that right. um, are marginalized in society? And does it cause them harm in some fashion? Right. Um, so I saw um, Pete Buttigieg um, was on Fox News. He does that. This, this, this past week, weekend, some point, I don't know, I saw the clip. Um, and the question that was posed to him was about, um, I guess, uh, Chief, or Justice Kavanaugh was at dinner somewhere and people were protesting, not in the restaurant, outside the restaurant. Um, and apparently it came out now that they weren't even like, there wasn't like even a confrontation with him. Um, but anyway, he made a big deal about, you know, people protesting. Um, and the Fox News dude was like, you know, is this, this isn't appropriate. How is this appropriate? And, and Buttigieg was like, well, you know, we have the, you know, the right to, to peaceful protest. You know, this was peaceful protest. Um, it wasn't in his face. It wasn't, so not, not necessarily civil disobedience, but like, like the whole idea of civil disobedience and protest, um, you know, where's the line? What crosses the line? Um, and it's like, okay, so... They weren't armed and they didn't attack. <laughs> right. And they, and they, again, my understanding, they weren't, you know, threatening as in, um, I know where you live, you know, I'm gonna, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, although, on that line, I, I, who, there, there was a, there's a Republican representative that voted in favor of the January 6th commission. I think it was like Adam Kitzinger or something Adam like that. Adam Kitzinger, and he is receiving yeah. all kinds of death threats. Yeah, and, so and, he, yeah. he posted um, a audio of voicemails and pointed out that, listen, like, just he's like... Po he's posted some of the letters he's received, too. Yeah, and he's like, now, mind you, these are, these are voicemails left in my office, and just like any you know representative it's largely interns and office staff that are that are taking the voicemails and you know recording these things and the vile things i know where you live oh and the profanity that's i know used. yeah i'm gonna, i'm going to i guess Believe it or not, I'm going to do it without the profanity, which is kind of surprising for me. Well, because um, that profanity is like nasty profanity. Yeah. Like words and, that should not come out of anyone's mouth. And They're like, so gross. I'm going to do this to your daughter. And, yeah, and I, I'm like, what is wrong with our world? Yeah. Like. That anyone thinks that that's an appropriate way to 
engage yeah. with someone yeah. that you disagree with. Yeah. Oh, man. It's, I know that really has anything to do with Schiffer and Pua. And <laughs> well, it does. But it, but it, kind, of it, take, it, it kind of takes it down this idea of you know, civil disobedience. And, and here, so I, I, think, I think that we're big on disobedience right now, but we've lost <laughs> the civil part of it, right? Yes, we've completely lost the civil part. I mean, and, and you know, I kind of look back and I'm like, okay, so you know, as, as you were as you were talking about civil disobedience in, in light of um, the midwives, you know, not obeying, not obeying Pharaoh's orders. And I'm thinking, wow, like fast forward, think about this, you know, think about, you know, the civil rights movement is probably the, the most famous in our nation's history. Um, you know, it's like lunch counter sit-ins. Right. Well, and, and to be clear, you know, you say we, we've lost the civil part. Technically, that's not what civil disobedience means. No, I know, yes, I know, yes, no, yes, I know. <laughs> correct, correct. But di different definition of civil. Correct. Um, same word, different definition. Correct, but, correct. Yeah, but um, the point being is... It ain't civil anymore. Yeah. But I mean, like, like okay, so I am, I am black and I want equal rights. I want to sit at a lunch counter. Yeah. I'm going to go sit in sit-ins. I'm going to boycott buses. You know, I, I mean, you know, we, we've, we've kind of lost that. You know, civil disobedience. I'm going to kneel during the national anthem. Holy crap, is that a Pua storm? Um, you know, that, that, that that's set off. Which, which, interestingly enough, now a lot of women are saying that that's what they want to do because they don't feel free. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Stop. Yeah, I know. I know. Stop right there. I know. I'm like, you mean you same women who were really upset about someone else doing it because it was actually related to things like police brutality, et cetera. Right. I, I mean, I, I'm like, no, no, no. Leave, leave that alone. That is not your protest. Um, yeah. That, that, that one I just kind of was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. No. I mean, the, I mean the, the world right now is... Crazy. It is. It is, and, and and frankly, it's 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 scary and daunting. Um, well, and the weird part about this is, is normally um, I say, you know, we have to remember that we're being very Amerocentric in this, and this is da 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 da. But I mean, stuff's going kind of berserk all over. I mean, um, the the Japanese prime minister got uh, former prime minister got assassinated by a homing gun. I know. Isn't like that crazy. I'm like, how do you do that? But whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, on the on the bright side, he only took out one person as opposed to twenty. But um, you have Ukraine, which has been yeah. A, I, I mean, it, it's one of those and, things where where it literally is kind of the whole world going a little wonky. Um, yeah. And well, and you have the British Prime Minister being um, kind of forced out. Yeah. Uh, same thing in Sri Lanka. Sri Sa same things in what? Sri Lanka. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's not just us. No. It seems everything's going a little, little wackadoo. Um, and, you know, of course, that, that, of course, then spawns lots of people going, well, it's the end times, blah, blah, blah. Hey, guess what? <laughs> Here comes a reference to the book of Revelation. Well, what I'm going to say is... See? It is potentially an ending, yes. See? 
I don't know okay. if it's the end of time, but I will say that it is probably an ending to an era, so to speak. Um, and we, we, we may be moving into whatever our next era of civilization is, and it may be very violent um, as opposed to a more <laughs> gradual um, shift. It, it may be a little bit more violent um, into whatever the next um, phase of human uh, civilization is going to look like. I, what I hope we aren't headed for is, so history does these weird things where you have these great eras of um, prosperity and civilization kind of reaching pinnacles. I mean, look, I mean, if we look, okay, so for our story for today, um, the Egyptian, the Egyptian empire accomplished some really amazing things yeah. for its day and time. I mean, we still can't completely figure out how they built those pyramids given the, what we think they had for technology. Aliens. Yeah. <laughs> But the point being is they, they, they really did a lot of, of, of stuff. They were, they were the forerunners, et cetera. Well, eventually their empire fell. Um, same with the Romans, et cetera. Um, you know, the, the Romans had a kind of a glory era, and then the weight of their own corruption kind of um, caused them to uh, collapse. And then you go through these periods where, you know, we even have a period that is literally called the Dark Ages. Um, of time where basically everything kind of regressed. Yeah. We're, and, we're heading towards Dark Ages Part 2. Well, that's what I'm afraid of. I'm, I'm going to yeah. be honest. That, yeah. that, that, that's, that is part of what my, quote, fear is, is that we are headed for another round of, of Dark Ages, of um, a time where, uh, you know, it, it's a feudal system. It's a... <laughs> um, it's a... Uh, time where people just get stupid. It and, doesn't And technology feel... regresses. We don't have, you know, the advancements all stop. We're no longer making scientific discoveries. It we're doesn't no longer... feel like we're moving forward. Correct. It, it feels like we're regressing. It feels like we're going backwards. Yeah. We made a lot of strides. And, here, and here's, here's the scary thing. There's people that are calling for that. Oh, yeah, they want that. And I'm like... Uh, there's a reason you don't drive your car in reverse. Well, at least not for very far. <laughs> Correct. You can back up, but you don't yep. drive your car yep. in reverse. Um, um, like, yeah, you don't I, speed down the highway in reverse. Right. Bad I, idea. I hear it. I hear it in church. I hear it in our education system. Why can't we go back to... Right. And, and here's the, f the part that I always find really interesting. My, my parents kind of made this comment the other day, actually. They were, they were saying something about how, well, you know, they grew up in a time where there were family values, there were, you know, they had, you know, the family unit, blah, blah, blah. And I just bluntly stated to them, I said, you know, here's the thing. I don't think those families were as perfect and as stable as you think they were. <laughs> they weren't all leave it to beaver. Yeah. Um, and I will, I will grant you my personal nuclear family um, that, that I grew up in and the one that my, especially that my mom came out of, was very, was very leave it to beaverish. Mine was a busted train wreck. And 
I had to point out to my mom, because my mom's like, well, the kids you hung out, I said, okay, mom, remember, and I named one of the kids that came over to our house all the time, um, and I said, they had all these issues going on yep. at home. It was a very broken home. That's why they hung out at our place. Um, one of my best friends who used to come to my house, literally almost, she basically lived there. Not that her family was bad, but she had a sick mom, and that sick mom sometimes would do things. Dad wasn't home a lot because of his job, yep. so she hung out at our place quite a bit. I mean, even Leave it to Beaver had Eddie Haskell. Yeah. I mean, Eddie didn't have the best home life because he was always hanging out at the Beavers. Right. So... I mean, I, to, to be fair, I only saw that show in reruns. I'm not, I'm not that old, but... <laughs> well, same. But the, the point being is that... There's that a glorification... Just because your family maybe was kind of, you know, not as messed up as a lot of other families... Yeah. ...doesn't mean that the whole time period was great. Correct. Because let's take it even a step further and say, okay, it was great for you... My, my parents um, in Nebraska during the 1950s, how was it for the black people in Nebraska, if they even were there? <laughs> I mean, let's just, let's just be blunt and say, other than, say, Omaha, right. you probably didn't have a whole lot of black families living out in rural Nebraska. Yep. Because who, who was the land owned by? Farmers. Who were the farmers? Most of them were white. Yeah, you had the rare occasion, yeah. but it, it was, I'm like, okay, I well, get that you think this was all great and fine and dandy, but again, that's because of what you're coming out of is different than many other people's experiences. And, and I, I hate to um, throw someone under the bus, throw anyone under the bus, but a lot of the a lot of the advances that, that came out of that era led to um, this whole prosperity and productivity and you know, kind of pushed society to the point um, economically where it was no longer possible for mom to stay home if she chose to. Right. It, 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 we got past the point of moms can work if they choose, which is a good thing, and, and went and zoomed right past that to, oh, yeah, well, now you have to. Yeah, because, now you have to work because, because you, you cannot can't afford, afford a single income You can't afford a, a single income. You can't afford a house. Um, you know, it, the cost of education has skyrocketed. The housing cost has skyrocketed. Wages have not. Yeah, um, and, if, and, if you're, and if you're single and you aren't raising a family, you likely have to have two jobs speaking from experience. Um, It, yeah, it's, yeah, we we are not, you know, there was an interesting thing I saw today where it said, so in the um, 1990s, the average rent was $500. Yep. The average income was $30,000 a year. Today, average rent, $2,000. Income, 50000 Yeah, income has gone up, but not at the same rate. Do, yeah, do the math on that. Yeah. Um, your, your rent has now quadrupled. Yep. And your income has not even doubled. Nope. 
So that math isn't too tough to figure out. Yeah. How and you're supposed to spend a third of your income on housing. Right. And you can't even get an apartment if you don't fit that criteria, which means a lot of people aren't fitting that criteria right now. Yep. Um, we know some, some uh -huh. quite a few people yep. who are, in that, are facing that problem. They're like, well, I make enough money, I could pay that rent. I wouldn't have a lot left over for anything else, yeah. but I can't even get my application through the process because it's over what they consider I can afford because it's over that one-third of my income mark. And, yeah, then it's, yeah, it's bad. And anyway, so... <laughs> How does this all relate to um, uh, saving the uh, saving Moses? <laughs> so, so I, so I mean, I, I think the reality is there. There are. Let's not even talk history. Let's just talk scripture, right? Because I mean, this is kind of a Bible-y, Jesus-y podcast type thing, or it's supposed to be, and sometimes it is. Um, you know, there, there are there are these critical events in scripture where things look just like it's over. Right. Right. So well, and the, and the, so what I'm what I'm going to say that might be kind of relevant here is what I think was maybe going on in Egypt was um things maybe weren't going great for the Egyptians. And they saw this group of foreigners living inside their borders that maybe didn't have it so bad. That the Israelites had money, they were powerful, and they kept growing and growing and growing. And if you are a good, I'm going to use the word, if you are a good patriotic Egyptian, <laughs> um, if you are, you know, sitting there going, wait a minute, what about us? Yep. What do you do? You, you scapegoat. And unfortunately, um, whether it's the Hebrews or uh, later on their descendants, um, which will eventually become the Jewish people, and then... have a history of being scapegoated, yep. of, of being a problem. Ouch. Um, and, yeah. and, and the possibility of that, be, you know, and, and I think that's twofold. Number one, it's like kind of wherever they go, they do tend to flourish. And number two, like anybody, they're, they're flawed people. And they don't always, just like anybody else, um, because we find in these stories where, oh, wait, maybe Joseph did something he shouldn't have done. Like, created a slave class when the Egyptians came to him for food. And he says, well, I'll buy all your land. <laughs> I mean, that, that just is, and interestingly enough, um, so he buys all their land. And that continues on for some time. Even if they get their land back, they still have to give a fifth of what they own to Pharaoh. So... They still have to, you know, you think 10%'s bad. They had to give a fifth yep. to Pharaoh. The, you want to know the only people who were not affected by that 
the priests of Egypt, the religious people. So guess who wound up controlling most of the land? The church. Yep, the, the Egyptian, quote, church, the, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the priests. And guess who did not get land when they went into the promised land? Oh, boy. What? I said, oh, boy. <laughs> the Levites, who were the priestly class. They were not given specific land. They were there to perform priestly duties and wherever they lived, and they were kind of, you know, supposed to live throughout. And yes, they could be given land to, like, live on and that kind of stuff, but they did not have a tribe that was given a specific group, grouping of, of the promised land. And I think that was by design. Uh, I mean, I think that was, that was sort of a reactionary to what happened in Egypt, um, where the priests controlled everything, which meant that the priests were also probably in control of Pharaoh. Because you don't face that kind of power and money without them having that kind of influence. You say they, they, the, cler- the clergy, we'll call clergy, they had a ton of power. Yep. Not, the case, not so much the case anymore. Um, they had a ton of, of power. Well, throughout history, clergy typically have. Correct. Um, no matter what religion they, they tend to be part of, they usually ex- you know, are able to exert um, quite a bit of power and control, um, which is kind of why it was sort of a unique thing that we tried to do here in the United States um, of saying there was going to be no state religion. And that was, you know kind of a, a new and different thing to try. Um, we're having some pushback against that. <laughs> so I got an email the other day from um, a, a candidate in, in West Palm Beach that wants the Christian church to take over the government. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say, that please, guy's if you clearly, live in West Palm Beach, please don't vote for that person. That, cl- that guy's clearly never been in a church council meeting. <laughs> I, love, I love you, council. Council members who are listening to this, I love you all. Um, our, actually, our council is, is, I think our council is probably more efficient than the government. Not that that's a high bar. Um, but this is, and I will say this is, um, now granted, I've really only been on, had two churches with, and two church councils, and both of them were fairly good. But I've heard horror stories from most of my friends who are clergy yep. and, and some of the things that their council tends to pull. Yep. So I feel very blessed that I have always had yeah. good councils to work with and good congregations to work with. Yeah. Um, um, so but, so it, it strikes me that throughout, throughout Scripture, there are, these, there are these pivot points where things look bleak. Yeah. Things do not look good. And then there's this this thing that happens yeah. instituted by God that shifts things, right. that pivots them in, in, a, in, a, in a different direction. It does, but it always also requires action on our part. Yep, because at, at creation, God acts. Yeah, independently, God acts. God acts. Yep, it's period. God. God, God did it. <laughs> but then, 
guide. Turn things over. Turn things over. Guide, <laughs> you know, hey, Noah, go build a boat. I'm mad, go build a boat. Hey, Moses, lead the people. You know, I mean, there, there's, there, there's a human element um, to God's... Well, and there's a human God's element will. in our story that we were looking at today from the standpoint of you have to have literally these five women doing what they do in order for any of this to happen. Yep. Um, you know, any, any step along the way, someone doesn't do what they need to do, and we have a very different story. Yep. Now, you know, may there have been other women who would have stepped up or other people or something else. You know, God finds a way. I'm, you know, I, I firmly believe that. I don't think we are able to completely um, thwart God's plans. But, but damn, our job isn't to put up as many roadblocks just to see. Right. <laughs> it's like, how many ways can we, can we test God's ability to perform a miracle? Um, I, I feel like that's where we're at. We're like, like we're at, like our current point in history is like, hey, God, try this. <laughs> what gives me hope, though, is if you think about the like a story like this, um, it starts with two very unlikely people, midwives, simple midwives just going around helping birth babies. And that simple act of, as I called it, civil disobedience by these very ordinary people doing very ordinary things in a huge empire. You know, they're, they're the little peons in, in this. And it's their action that starts other things in motion. Is there... Because... By, by them doing that, that, of course, then triggers Pharaoh to get really mad and say, all right, let's throw all the kids in the river. If, you know, we can't, <laughs> if we can't catch them as they're being birthed and kill them, let's, let's, let's throw them all the river. And, and that particular um, decree goes out to all the Egyptians. So that's no longer just the midwives' responsibility. It's all Egyptians. You see a baby, a male baby that's Hebrew, throw it in the river. Is there any instance in Scripture, I'm going to use the word hero, um, maybe not the right word, but that's what, that's what you're getting from me. Um, I used it this weekend. Was, like, the heroes. was likely. Repeat that. Is there, is there an instance in Scripture, because I'm, I'm having trouble thinking of one, where, where the hero is likely. Oh, is, is the... They're all surprised. I mean... In, I don't know if you call them the hero. I would say it was more of, given his station of where he was, Jeremiah the prophet okay. yeah. was a priest. So he was in the actual business of like serving God, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So for him to become a prophet really wasn't outside the bounds of what he was already dedicated to do. Yeah. Um, now, you get all kinds of others that are all over the place. We, I mean, like, Noah was not... Uh... We don't know much about Noah. I mean, really. Right. 
You know, it's like we don't really even know what he did other than he was able to somehow plant a vineyard and get drunk. Um, right. <laughs> and built an ark, so he knew something about construction. I mean, Moses, by all accounts, seemed to be kind of a train wreck. Even a shepherd. I mean, by his own account. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, nope, not me. He winds up being a shepherd. Yeah. Um, but, and, and this will be more my sermon next week, so I'm not going to go into this too much. But eventually what has to happen is the place of privilege has to come into play in order for Moses to really survive. Right. Is you have to have Pharaoh's daughter step in. But that, I'm going to talk more about that next week, so I don't want to get too much into that, that element of privilege because we're going to talk about that more next week. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk more about the things you can do when you aren't privileged. What do you do when you are the slave? What do you do when you are the person that is being oppressed? <laughs> so I laugh. Not, it's not ha-ha because I'm not in that position. Right. Right? Like I'm a white male. I'm a middle-aged <laughs> white male. Like, that's kind of the epitome of privilege at this point. Um, let me, and, the, and let me add straight. In our society, yes. Yeah. You uh-huh. add those qualifiers in, I'm a straight, white, middle-aged male. I don't know what it's, I mean, I can answer the question, but, but like, from a personal standpoint, like, well, here's part of what I'm going to get at. There's an ethical issue that goes on in this story. The midwives lie. Yep. And, you know, I, and, and that becomes one of those questions of, of, okay, should they have lied? Should they have found another way where they weren't quote sinning or whatever? But God rewards them for this lie. And I think it has to do with the fact that when you are not in a position of privilege, you do not have the luxury of living your life the way maybe others in society think you should live it. Right. You do not have the luxury of um, always living by a code of ethics that is set up for what I would call a perfect society, where here's what you do if you're not doing anything wrong in any way, shape, or form. But when you're living under the thumb of oppression, you quit having that luxury. You are not able to live that life. It has been taken from you. And... You know, one of the, the things I think about that has been brought up in recent days, um, and of course this, this text get, gets used a lot of times in our current debates yep. regarding women's rights and, and, and issues and things about, well, you know, clearly this is a story about saving babies. And I'm not going to disagree. What I am going to say is there's a flip side to that story. 
So we can draw parallels, can't we, between what happened in Egypt and what happened in Nazi Germany? Oh, absolutely. They were scapegoated. Yep. And then genocide. That's an easy Syst- line Systematically to destroyed. Um, Pharaoh, Hitler, basically were trying to achieve the same thing. Yep. You, I mean, that, that takes zero gymnastics. That's literally a straight yep. line. Pretty much a straight line. There's one big difference. In concentration camps like Auschwitz, if you were a pregnant woman, you were slated for immediate termination. You either went to the gas chambers or you were going to be tortured and experimented on to see what kind of weird things would happen to your baby while it was in the womb if they did X, Y, and Z to you. And there was a woman that was called the Angel of Auschwitz. Her name was uh, Gisela Pearl. She was a gynecologist. Her job was to identify the pregnant women for termination or experimentation, one or the other. You want to know what she did? Yep. She performed abortions. Yep. She performed abortions because she knew she needed to save the lives of the mothers because they at least might have a chance to survive this and go on later and maybe have kids later or something. She made a choice whose life was more important in that, in that moment. Both of them were going to die because th- there were no babies at Auschwitz. So the babies were not going to survive either way. Nope. And she made a choice to save the life of the mother. What a miserable choice. Oh, horrible. Right? She I was mean... like, you know, it, it's that, that luxury of doing no harm. You take an oath as a doctor to do no harm. And she was like, and she, she even had to smother babies when they were born because they were going to die anyway. And it was like, it, 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 it's just such a horrifying position to be in. And the reason I bring it up is because I kind of want to point out that this is not necessarily always a black and white issue. That, that, that what is right and what is wrong, what are the, you know, the ethics, um, the morality behind some of these issues are not always as clear-cut as we would like them to be. Um, you know, we, we're now... We desperately want a black and white world that is not... No. But people like to pretend it is. Correct. And, you know, just draw a hard line way. saying, you, you never do this. There was... I know you saw this so little... A, a less intense... Um, but, but still interesting. A woman in Texas was arrested for driving in an HOV in the, lane. The, yep, the HOV um, lane. Because there was no one else in the car. And she went to court to fight the ticket because she's pregnant. 
Is and it according no? to the law. Oh no, I have a passenger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, I, I. But if you take this to its logical conclusion, she is right. Correct. Correct. If, and, if, and that, if and that's, that's what we're going to say is that they both have equal rights yeah. and are fully human and all yeah. the rights that are accorded to them, there is a second passenger in that car. Yeah, correct. And she is correct. Yeah. Yeah. If that's how we're going to understand it. Which then, of course, started, a, as you can imagine, a not-so-pleasant Twitter or Facebook, whatever it was. I don't, I don't remember. I, saw it, I read it. Um, was then prompted, of course, a toxic back and forth. As it always does. Yeah, as everything does. Because Facebook and Twitter are always good places to get into um, debates with people yeah. that you usually have never met. <laughs> yeah, always ends well. Yeah, always ends well. Um, I, I, keep, I keep kind of coming back to this, this notion, and, and I... I struggle, maybe I come back to it because I'm still struggling with it. At these intersections where things look bleak, God intervenes. Mm -hmm. And I'm, so I am, again, I'm not, as discussed in previous podcasts, I'm not a patient person by nature. You're not a what? Patient person patient by person. nature. <laughs> by, so, you know, I'm not one to say, well, God... Put your feet up, God will take care of it. I'm not one to say, well, it is what it is. Um, and, I'm not, and I'm not talking about women's reproductive rights specifically. I'm talking the state, the chaotic and toxic state of the world um, in which we divide each other and don't agree on things and can't have a, can't have a civil conversation and we make all our decisions based on whether or not someone's Republican or Democrat, and that's where we make our judgments. Mm -hmm. um, at some point, God's going to use someone to intervene, and I don't know what that looks like. Um, and maybe we have to go through those dark ages first. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe that's maybe that's true. Maybe we, maybe we do. Um, I mean, I mean, so let's think about it theologically, right? So, you know, Christ didn't didn't jump off the cross. He died. Yeah. There was well, a, there was there was a there was darkness on Friday. There was darkness on Saturday. Now, how long that lasts? Not biblically. How long that lasts, how long that darkness lasts. But if we're resurrection people, the question is, are we content? Are we content to just let let it happen? Well Are we are we, are we content to send, metaphorically speaking, Jesus to the cross again to die? Like are we willing to send Jesus back to the cross to die? And just say, well, God will take care of it. Because I'm not. Like, I'm, again, I, 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 I kind of know the story. Like, I, I know what happens. You know, God's not dead. God's truly alive, whatever, however that song goes. Um, I, I get it. And yet, I think Christ calls us to more. 
right? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. If, we often ask the question, who do you identify with in, script, in, in this story? We should be identifying with the midwives. Right. Like, we should be identifying with the midwives. Like, if, if you're going to identify with someone in this story, I hope the hell it's not Pharaoh. I hope it's not Pharaoh. But I think we got too many people identifying with Pharaoh instead of the midwives. Or either Pharaoh or the babies that, well, well what happens? Eh, whatever. Yeah. We should, we, we I, I, I'm going to not say shit. We, we need to be, we need to be the midwives in this story. And go, wait a minute, that ain't right. Like, like that, that's not right. And actually, and again, I'm not going to get too much into this. Our reality is we're probably more the Pharaoh's daughter than we are even the midwives, given our social station. Most of us. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah, that, yeah, that's next week. Yeah, that's next week. But, 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 but I mean, yes. in, in the context of this text, yes. because I always, I always kind of look at it, there's, there's different characters, there's different angles, there's different, you know. Well, and this is something I do um, in my Bible study stuff for uh, Pathways, actually. Right. So, you know, putting another plug in there for that. Uh, <laughs> when you get to it, it's called Directing Imagination. And the idea is you put yourself in the position of all the different characters in the story. Yeah. Um, you are, you know, are, are you the midwives? Are you Pharaoh's daughter? Are you the, are you the other Egyptians that are just kind of going along with stuff? Um, are you Pharaoh? You know, are you Moses? You know, who are you? <laughs> who are you in this story? And looking at it from all those different perspectives um, and, and their stories and, and situations that they find themselves in. Um, and, you know, I think this is just, it's, like I said, for me, it, it really is... A, a, a case of taking a look at where are the injustices, where uh, the true injustices, and you know who are the people who are really, really struggling and on the margins. Um, just because things are not going your way or you're maybe losing some of the privilege that you've had in your life is not oppression. Right. Um, you know, if, you're, if it's just a leveling out, that's not oppression. Now, if there are laws that are targeting you specifically because of who you are, um, the color of your skin, your orientation, your whatever it is, that is specifically, you know, gender, etc. If it's targeting you just because of who you are, that is injustice. Yep. And it, and I think we lose sight of that because we, I think a lot of times think, oh, well, we're the persecuted one because I can't do things the way I necessarily want to do them, exactly the way I want to do them. And we think that's persecution or oppression. And it's like, no, it's you're having to take into account how that want, desire, etc., affects everybody else. Yep. 
How, how is that going to affect your neighbor? Right. And I think that's one of the things we've really, really lost sight of. Um, we've, we've turned our, our freedom and our liberty into, that means I get to do whatever I want. And it doesn't matter who else it hurts. And that's not freedom, that's not liberty. It may be for you, but it's not for somebody else. Right. And as soon as your liberty, your freedom is encroaching on somebody else's liberty and freedom, that's where you got a problem. And that seems to be something we don't comprehend, or at least a large chunk of our society does not comprehend, is the ramifications of doing what I want when I want. And, you know, I look at this story <laughs> and I think about, again, like I said, I think just the, um, the scapegoating that goes on and how often that happens where we just decide a certain group of people is going to be the cause of our problems. If we could just get rid of them. The problem is we keep, we keep adding to the thems. Oh, I know. And, that, and that's, that's the, for me, that's the scary part. Yeah. Um, we, keep adding, we keep adding to the thems. Yeah. The, the, well, okay, this group is the problem. Well, this group is the problem. Well, this group is the problem. Yeah. And... And let's just be honest, there is some, in addition to, you know, our, our racism towards black people, towards brown people, we have a very big anti-Semitism problem yep. in this country as well. Yep. Um, Jewish people are being um, targeted as well. Yep. And that, I mean, that's, that's just plain old through history we do that. <laughs> they are a group that just gets targeted over and over and over and over and over again. Um, where they're, they're constantly being shoved out of communities and marginalized and told, you're not welcome here. Um, re there was a recent um, lawsuit that was brought against, a, so kind of getting back to this whole debate of, well, okay, if we're going to make women have babies that they don't want, just adopt them. So there's a um, Christian adoption center that rejected a Jewish family because they're not Christian. You can't adopt our kids because you're not the right faith. And unfortunately, the judge decided, well, there were other ways that the Jewish family could go and, and adopt a child so it wasn't discrimination. And I just was like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. I, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's a, 
You don't watch Stranger Things, but you I, know. I, oh, I do. Oh, you do? Yeah. I did not think that would be a, a show you would really be into. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, Christina and... Christina is, yes. Christi I can see her being Christina, into that. Christina wanted to watch it. Yeah. Um, um, so we've, we're, we're, up, we're, we're living in the upside down. <laughs> we're, we're up to date, yes. Yeah, it's um, kind of like, I think we're living in the upside down. Um, yes. That alternate <sighs> kind of reality place. Um, in Superman comics, we called it Bizarro World. Um, it's super bizarro. <laughs> well, and of course... I grew up, my, my brother was big into Dungeons and Dragons during the 80s and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm watching it going, yep, that was my childhood. That, the, you know, the, 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 the kids getting together to play their, um, uh, their game and, and do their, um, oh, what do they call them? Their, uh, um, oh, shoot, the word's escaping me right now. Um, Anyway, yeah. I can't help you. I have no clue. I, I uh, shoot, it was right on the tip of my tongue, and it, it flew away again. So I have problems with this lately. Just simple words I can't come up with. <sighs> I hate getting old. Um, and there it was again. It was just right there, and when I went to say it, it went away. <laughs> um, not an expedition. Um, a uh, Oh, forget it. Doesn't matter. Um, anyway, so but that was kind of my 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 childhood was my brother was constantly you know having friends over to to play those play that game and do their thing, um, and it. But but kind of the thing for me, you know, that I'm like is, is sort of like I'm like wow yeah you know, it, it's kind of like living in the upside down, this sort of alternate, you know, where, when I look at where we were, where at least where I kind of thought we were, and this may be just, again, because of my, my social station privilege or whatever, in the 1990s, I kind of thought we were headed in a really good direction, well, societally. I, think, I mean, uh, I, I, think, I think society thought, and, and it was actually verbalized, well, we elected, we elected a black president. Campaign. That was what, that. That was the word I was looking for. Sorry. <laughs> there was a presidential campaign. No, D&D campaign. Yeah, and we elected a black president. And, yep. and I think for so many people. Um, well, it was twofold. I think 9/11. Yep. Um, unleashed a lot of of Islamophobia, racism, and right. and made people become more radical in their hatred towards groups of people. Um, yeah. And then we just, as you said, we've just expanded who we hate. Yeah. Well, it used to be the Russians. Like, growing up, it was Russia, right? Russia was Like, the it was the evil Russians. Like They were going to nuclear bomb us. It was USA versus Russia in every Olympics. That was the big thing. Um, growing up, it was Hulk Hogan versus um, Nikolai Volkov. Um, Rocky versus the Russian. Rocky versus whatever that Dolph, dude. Dolph, Dolph Lundgren, I think, it. was playing yeah. the Russian. I forget his. I forget the Russian. So, so I mean, there yeah. was so much, um, you know, focus on on hating Russia. Um, oh, we're back to that though. Well, we are. Well, no, but you know what? We're not. Oh no, we're not. You're right. There is a huge segment that is actually pro-Russia, and I don't understand it. 
Um, <laughs> I don't have anything against Russian people personally. No, I, I've um, got a problem with their current leader. Correct. Yeah, um, and some of their oligarchs. But it, it's, we've, we, we've then, and I guess, you know, at that point in, in my awareness, I was not aware of our country's disdain for black people. I knew racism was a thing, um, but I thought it was more isolated than what it is. And that's, that certainly continued to, continued to fester. I was not all, at all aware of anti-Semitism. Um, just wasn't something that was on my radar. Now, again, it's blatantly obvious. Um, right. 9-11 really, really hammered home the Islamophobia thing. Um, I, I think, you know, that, I mean, that really drove that through the roof. So I do weird things and the, and when I feel um, like I don't like a group. I go and try to learn about them. So when 9-11 happened, of course, you know, and I, lo I lost a friend. And, and I, I'm not going to lie. I, I had a kind of an intense fear of, of Islam. When I went to seminary, we had an Islamic studies department. This was in 2004. In 2006, I decided to go with the leader of, or, or you know, the instructor of our Islamic studies department on a trip to Egypt to study Islam. Because I was like, I really kind of want to learn more about it. You know, what, what, what really does it teach? What, you know, what's going on here? Because let's face it, you can look at what's going on with a lot of Christians and Christian nationalism, and I'm looking at that going, that ain't Jesus. That is not, to me, I mean, it may historically be kind of how Christians have behaved <laughs> when they're in charge of empire um, and, you know, for 1,700 years have been oppressive and whatever, but that's not the Jesus I find in Scripture. Right. So I'm like, okay, that may mean that what I think Islam is is not actually what Islam is. So um, I went over to Egypt to, to learn, and... It was interesting because when, and, and I will tell you right now that in a country that Islam is the dominant country, Christians are a persecuted minority. Um, you are, if you are white, you are definitely somebody who stands out and you get harassed and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, for um, like a couple of weeks, got to experience what it was like to be a minority population. And the interesting thing is most people will ask you then, well, what, you know, would you come away to you now, you know, say, oh, you know, it's really bad. We never want Islam to take over here. And I said, that's not my problem. My problem is I don't want any minority group to feel what I felt. Right. I do not ever want someone in the country I live in to feel the way I felt harassed, scared. If you look at United States history of diplomacy in the Middle East, it's really not a wonder why... Uh, well, and a lot of it had to do with just being a woman. That too, it's true. Um, but, and, and, and cultural differences in general and how you, you know, I don't think it had anything to do with the religion itself. 
And that was a lot of the stuff too, is like a lot of this has nothing to do with the religion. It has to do with the governments using the religion as a reason to do X, Y, and Z to people. So my, my, my beef was never with Islam. My beef was what people did with Islam. Just like I know a lot of people have the beef with Christianity, but I think the real beef is what people do with Christianity. Correct. You know, there are folks that throw up their hands and say these issues have been in existence since the beginning of time. We're wired this way as human beings. We just can't. Why are we fighting it? Well, right? because God calls us to. That's my answer. I agree. God calls us to be and do different and that there is a vision he has for our world and our future that we are able to, with his help, with, with God being in, involved in this, to change. Invariably, though, when we have these discussions or they come out in sermons, invariably someone will say, mm -hmm. well, you know, we've always, God, God we, it's been this way since the beginning of time and we're not going to fix it. And that, maybe that's true. It's possible. I, I mean, maybe that's true. Yep. But man, like, you're cool with it? I mean, I mean that's kind of my question back. It's like, okay, you, you, uh, I'm cool with that being how it operates, how how we are. Regardless of what, the question is, can humanity? I mean, for for lack of a better term, I'm going to use a term that you know isn't a very you know Christian term, but can we evolve? Yeah, can we change? That's that's all evolution is 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 a change. Can we evolve? Can we change? Well, I mean, I mean, I've gotten to the point in my life and in my ministry where you look and go, huh, guess I can't change the world. <laughs> but maybe I can change my corner of it. But it's like maybe I can make an impact somewhere, right? So, so these are the things that that I find myself reminding myself of um, and, and holding on to. Um, so. I, I, I'm going to, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt you just for one second because I'm going to say you think you can't change the world, but would you say those midwives changed the world? Right. Right. So. You may not see it. Correct, and when you and and and, I, and that's what, that's where I was going. You don't you don't always see it. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you get those glimpses, and and sometimes they're fleeting. But you get those glimpses. But you hold on to those things. So I was talking to Christina uh, yesterday, and I said to her, "I said, you want to know something? I've been ordained for eight years." In eight years, I've had a part, not, I am not responsible. I've played a part in three people going to seminary. 
in eight years. That's pretty damn good. We had someone show up in worship um, and make a statement, I can wear this here. I'm not yes. going to say what it was. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. But they, I they, can wear the, I feel I can't wear this everywhere, but I can wear it here. I can wear it in church. Right. Um, I had a, <laughs> this is definitely not on the same level, but someone texted me last night, member of the congregation, and it's, it was a picture of, a, of two tip jars, one with a picture of Samuel L. Jackson, one with a picture of Morgan Freeman, with a little tag that said, who would you choose to narrate your life? <laughs> and the conversation, just, I just was curious what your input was, what your thoughts were on this. So we had a discussion, and this person was like, my, my partner thinks it's funny that I texted my pastor this question. <laughs> they were having a conversation um, about who we'd want to narrate our lives. And the conversation, of course. So, so my answer was Samuel L. Jackson, right? <laughs> like, I, like, like, I love Morgan Freeman and... But and I, I, I mean, I like I like Samuel L. Jackson for you too. But I think it's far more fitting. I said th this actually prompted like a really lengthy discussion in the house last night, and I said, you know, I said I I want I want Samuel L. Jackson to um, be able to use all of his f bombs in all the appropriate ways where my life has just been a train wreck and I've made stupid choices. And I said, I said Samuel L. Jackson should be, should be the one to tell that story. Um, but I mean, so, you know, I think, I think most people get into ministry. It's, it's, to serve, it's to serve the church. It's to serve God. But there's also this element of, of wanting wanting different for folks, wanting more for folks, wanting better for folks. And I think, you know, it, at this point where everything is just so upside down world, I, I think you really have to hold, for, for sanity's sake, I think you have to hold on to those moments of, of influence. So like for a teacher, that, that moment, that breakthrough with a student, you know, for a therapist, a breakthrough with a with a with a client or a patient, um, you know those 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 places where you've impacted had a positive impact on somebody's life. It's easier for us to remember and focus on all the bad things as opposed to seeing where the good things are. Correct. And remembering those. Yeah. Because we remember the things people tell us that are bad about ourselves. It's harder for us to remember the times when people have told us good things about ourselves. Yeah, and, yeah. and we don't do this at all of the services. And I'm, I'm beginning to question that, and I think that probably needs to Your change. Your gratitude moment? Yes. Mm -hmm. So at our 9.30 service, while the offering plate's collected, you know, it's, I used, we used to do it, and I'd get up and I'd say all the things I'm grateful for. And I thought, well, that seems kind of self-serving and self-centered. 
Um, I mean, it wasn't like, hey, me personally, but like... No, it was like, okay, you know, I'm grateful for this and this. Things and for this. the church and things that are going on in the church and going in the community to highlight those things. You controlled the narrative. Yeah, and it's like, you know what? Let's turn it over. There's something about being able to focus on gratitude. And we do it for that two minutes or whatever it is on, on a Sunday morning. And, and, and I'm not naive enough to think that we do it for two minutes on a Sunday morning and then people leave here and all day long and you know, the rest of the week until they come back the following Sunday, they're, they're all happy people and grateful for everything. But I think you have to begin to cultivate it somewhere, someplace, in some way. Because it's too easy to get sucked into all the crap. You know, it would have been really easy for the midwives to say, oh man, this, this stinks, we got to kill all these babies. But they didn't. Yeah. Like, we're not doing that. They didn't do that. Nope. We, we, can, we, can get, we can get sucked into so many things. But I don't, think that's what, I don't think that's what Jesus calls us to. Yeah. And we are running over our time. Um, normally, we try to keep this to um, an hour or under. We're, a little we're over. running over, and I think we talked about the text for five minutes. Well, but it's all related to the text. I sure mean, it is. It, it is. It, it, it's all related to um, that. I, I, I think part of the reason that it, it's spawning such conversation is because we see how relatable what Shifra and Pua represent and what they're doing um, and how we can apply that to our own time and day and say, oh my gosh, you know, where, where do we see oppression? Where do we see evil things happening and how do we stop them? And what are the ways as ordinary, regular people, yep. things we can do? Yep. And that is going to spawn conversation about ordinary things that we can do and to talk about those and our yep. lives and our world and, and that kind of stuff. So, but, um, so that is going to be, we're going to wrap it up. We, we have a lot more to talk about next week. <laughs> it's yep. a continuation of this story, like I said. Um, I'm going to focus on, originally it was a question of focusing on um, Miriam and Pharaoh's daughter, and I opted to kind of really focus more on Pharaoh's daughter, um, more so than Miriam. I'll talk about her, though, um, in the podcast more than I will in the sermon. Uh, but that's it for this week. We I'm going will, to prom. Yeah, have fun going to prom. I get to preach again. So you give me three weeks in a row. Yeah, I mean, I'll take the next Sorry. Three. <laughs> I'll take the next three. Sorry, sorry you're stuck with me. Three. Well, actually, no, you're not. I think you're only taking two, and then you have to, you're, you're gone again or something. Oh, so. birthday party. Yep. Yeah, kids, yeah, kids bro, don't mess yep. that up. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Have, you have a daughter's birthday that you have to deal with. So, um, but yeah. we will talk to you next week. See you then. Bye. Bye, everybody.